mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Chapter 6. The Noble and Most Ancient House of Black Mrs. Weasley followed them upstairs, looking grim. I want you all to go straight to bed. No talking, she said, as they reached the first landing. We've got a busy day tomorrow. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Jackson Bird. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. We just have a few announcements today, which are that our amazing Patreon perk, which Jackson is going to stick around for, is our Every Flavored Bean conversation. And, you know, there's a lot of cleaning going on in this chapter, a murdering of doxies. And we are going to talk about some of the disgusting things that we have had to clean in our lives. And I, I promise not to get too disgusting, you know, but one of the most disgusting, not abjectly the most disgusting, if that is too disgusting. Jackson, I know that you want to share inappropriate things. <laughs> That's, that's all I ever want to do when I come I on this show. I know, I know. <laughs> I also want to let you know that we have a romance writing workshop in conversation with Nana Rimo, the National Novel Writing Month in November. And it is a month in which you try to write 50,000 words in a month. And you can do that with us. We're doing a little prep work to get ready for the sacred practice of writing a bad first draft and not writing for capitalism, but just for yourself and for joy. And you can find out more about that at notsorryworks.com. And then, of course, you can review us on Apple Podcasts. Tell us that Jackson is your favorite of our guest hosts. And... <laughs> Yes, please do that. Yeah, give him five stars. And you can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts for ad-free episodes. Jackson, you need no introduction anymore on our show, but is there something that the people should know that you're up to now? The main thing that I'm up to is doing experimental theater in New York City. So if you yeah, swing you through New York City, come to the East Village and come see the neo-futurists in our show, The Infinite Wrench. It's our ever-changing attempt to perform 30 plays in 60 minutes. Neo-Futurist is just like one of my all-time favorite theater-going experiences. Thank you for that. Well, Jack, you picked the theme of risk. What story do you have for us today? Yes. So when I was thinking about risk, I thought of 
just some of like the bigger risky moments in my life. And one of the biggest ones I think was when I moved at 20 years old from Texas to New York City. And I did that because I was transferring colleges. So I had applied to a number of schools like across the US and ultimately decided on going to NYU. But I hadn't like toured NYU. I hadn't even been to New York City since I was 12 for like a quick weekend trip with my grandfather. So I really didn't quite know what I was getting into. Like, of course, everyone knows about New York City. It's not like a town I'd never heard of. But I was still, I think, just sort of like leaving behind everything I knew, which was kind of the point. Like the reason I wanted to do it was I just had this sense that I needed to know what it was like to live outside of the Southwest and outside of the suburbs. And so I just kind of went for it. And as soon as I got here, I just broke down because I was just so overwhelmed. And I was like, why did I make this decision? This was so stupid of me. And it did take me a long time to get used to living here. And I have now been here 13 years. And I feel like for at least 10 of those, I've been wanting to move. So I think I ultimately did learn that like I'm not a city person. And so... Like there was that element to it, but just in terms of like the the stakes and the risk and the payoff at the time, I think it was a huge payoff. I've had so many opportunities just from even being on the Northeast coast, like not just in New York City, but like close to so much that's going on. So it was definitely worth it, but it's just weird to look back on the fact that like, I didn't really move here for a huge reason. I just had this like sense inside of me that it was something that I needed to do. And it was a huge change to my life that completely took my life on a whole different trajectory for over a decade. Uh, and it was just because I like thought that I needed to do it. And I've been thinking about this a lot now because in a long-term sense, I am working on a big move again of leaving the city for somewhere that I have also not spent much time at, but at least this time at like now, you know, at, 33 years old instead of 20 years old, it has been a much more intentional move. Like I've made pros and cons lists. I've researched of like, where would be the best place for me to live? I've saved the money and, and all of that. But I still sometimes think like, should I take that risk? Like, what am I doing? Like the move to New York was so hard for me and in some ways made so little sense. Like, am I really gonna do this to myself again? Or like trying to learn from what I could do better, what I didn't do with the risk the first time. And so I think I'm sort of reflecting a little bit on, yes, you can take risks, but how do we maybe like buffer them or do them in intentional ways and not make very rash risk decisions? I feel like that's the central question of my life. So <laughs> I do a big transition and then I'm like, why did I do this to myself? As you were talking and sharing that great story, Jackson, I was thinking about how risk assessment is a job. It's like a career. Yeah. And professional risk assessors get it wrong. And so why should I be able to decide what I do with my own life, right? Like, I don't have time to, like, do all the risk assessment on everything. It's This is an impossible question. You know, when do we follow our gut? What is a gut? When do we make a list? When do we just say, it's okay, I want this and do it and then deal with the consequences? And I think also the question that you're asking right now is like, how do I look back and measure whether or not it was the right risk or mm. what I did right and what I did wrong? 
on the one hand, you bringing out the professional risk assessors felt very validating to me because I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, they get it wrong, too. But then on the other hand, I was like, then how am I ever supposed to make a decision for myself if even the people who get paid to do that all day can't necessarily do it right? Well, I think the thing is just every risk is compromise. And it's actually about dealing with whatever happens after you take the risk, right? Yeah. Every risk is a mistake on some level, right? Like you're leaving something behind, even if it's just your favorite tree, even if it's just a sense of security, right? Like every risk, you lose something. Mm-hmm. And the question is just, do you gain more than you lose, right? Yeah. yeah. And one thing I think about with with big decisions that you know we could call risky too is if it's something that you feel strongly about or that you've been thinking about for a long time. It's, you're probably going to always keep thinking about it until you do it. Even if it turns yeah. out to have been not quite the right thing, you will have tried it and done it. Yeah. You know, um, I am now in charge of Etymology Corner when Matt is not here. Mm. And the etymology of risk helps and doesn't help. It comes from the vulgar Latin, not high Latin, not church Latin, um, verb riscare, which refers to sailing a ship around a cliff. Hmm. And I'm like, well, did they need to sail the ship around the cliff? Or could they have gone further out to sea? Or was this when they thought that the earth was flat? So they thought they had to stay close to a cliff. You know, I was like, this actually doesn't help me. Even the etymology of risk, I think, gets to the heart of this philosophical question of risk. What would it mean to not take a risk? Would we be risking actually feeling disappointed in ourselves and our own lives? Like everything is a risk. Sailing close to the cliff is a risk and sailing far from the cliff is a risk. Hmm. Oh, yeah. I do really like that point of how playing it safe can also be a risk. That is something I was I was reflecting on a little bit as I read this chapter of the ways in which it is also a risk to not act sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Or to act in a way that doesn't seem like the big, bold, risky move. Right. Another thing that I'm thinking about with this etymology is it came from a sailing term. Mm -hmm. And then I think about risk, the board game. Uh (laughs) And so I'm just thinking about how risk seems like, you know, for maybe a long time was used in sort of these kind of like military type of contexts. Yeah. And so what does it mean to take some of the language from those realms into our own everyday life? I love that question. I love that question. And right, like risk analysts too are financial Mm -hmm. risk analysts, right? right? So this is the language of war and capitalism that we are using to decide whether or not a 20-year-old kid should like follow a dream and move to New York. Right. Okay, let's remind everybody what happens in the chapter. You know, the 30-second recap is a risk. We risk people not knowing what happened in the chapter if we don't remind them. And we risk humiliation if we try our best to remind them because we fail. Yep. Yep. I'm uh, <laughs> feeling like that might be me today. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> okay. Can you count me in for my risky 30 second recap? All right. Here we go. Three, two, one. 
So all the kids are like, oh my God, what are they talking about? Wait, we didn't actually learn anything. What? There's a weapon. Voldemort might have it. Maybe we have it. And then they have to start cleaning the house and they kill Doxies and Fred and George are like, we're going to use the Doxy venom to like maybe do skiving snack boxes. And we find out that they're really starting their mail order thing. And then we hear more about Creature and that's in Sirius's backstory. And he actually lived with the Potters and he comes from this Death Eater family or like, you know, anti-Muggle family, not necessarily Death Eaters except for Regulus and poor Creature. Hermione's defending him and the trials tomorrow oh that was pretty good now i'm wondering what uh what i'm i thought i thought it was pretty comprehensive thank you i love your low standards (laughs) oh no those are beautiful okay it is your turn on your mark get set go all right, so it's Harry's first night in Grimald Place, and they're talking about the stuff that they were just told about, like a mysterious weapon or something by the adults, but then they had to go to bed. And now it's the next day, and basically this whole chapter is them, like, cleaning things and trying to, and unsuccessfully overhearing stuff the Order is talking about. They clean some doxies, they clean a bunch of, like, old antique stuff from this racist family. They meet Creature, they also meet Mungdungus, people like McGonagall and Snape and Tonks stop by, and Sirius tells him the whole history of his family, which is kind of terrible. And I, I have time left, but I didn't finish. <laughs> you did great. And also you bring such a sense of calm. Maybe it's all of your acting practice. I'm, I'm very used to doing things in a, a short-timed way, yeah. That's true. That's true. So, Jackson, I think that, you know, one of the ways to think about risk is why are you risking things and, what like, what are you risking them for? So, right, like, there are these different kinds of risk, risking yourself for yourself, risking yourself for others, risking others for yourself, right? And we we put very different value judgments on each of those risks. And I think that an interesting example of this is Sirius really wanting to risk something by going with Harry to the trial. Yeah, that's a, a big one that stood out to me towards the end when Sirius mentions wanting to like go in his animagus form with Harry to his trial at the Ministry of Magic. And I think we also hear Sirius in this chapter say how like he can't leave the house to like work on anything else. And you get a real sense of how badly he just wants to get out of there. Harry even compares it to, oh, I get it because if I were like stuck back at Privet Drive as an adult when I thought I'd broken free, it would be terrible. So you really do feel for Sirius and understand why he would want to leave. At the same time, not only is it a risk to him being caught, being put back in Azkaban or, you know, whatever the punishment would be, but it's also a risk to the entire order and to Harry. Like he wants to be there to comfort Harry at the hearing, but also if he were to be caught, Harry would be in huge trouble, like potentially legal trouble, but also certainly more in danger of Voldemort. So to me, it is a very, very understandable desire, but it is also selfish. Like I I definitely see it as something that he is doing for him, not necessarily for Harry or anyone else. Yeah, I mean, it would blow up the fight against Voldemort. Like, Mm -hmm. all the fight against Voldemort currently hinges on is Harry's credibility. And if Harry showed up at a trial where he is trying to convince people that Dementors came to Little Wangjing, and then it turned out that he had a convicted murderer as his little puppy next to him, his credibility, I think it would be safe to say, would be shot. And so Sirius is just like, 
not thinking this through. Mm-hmm. And like, I really understand it. I really understand it. Being like, this is something I so profoundly want to do. I feel like I can find a way to morally justify that I want to do it. I think one other aspect of this that was interesting to me is that as badly as he wants to do it, he is listening to Dumbledore saying, no, you can't do it. And to everyone else saying, we don't think it's a good idea. And so it got me thinking about risk when you want to take it, but someone else is preventing you from taking that risk or some external force is acting on you and preventing you from taking that risk. And what does that mean? And what what are some examples of that in our lives? I mean, <laughs> I have a 15-year-old stepdaughter and we are not letting her apply for her driver's permit until six months later than when she's legally allowed to, right? Mm. And I don't know what we think six months is going to gain, except that I think it was just like the most we thought we could gain on her. You know, if we were like, no, you have to wait till you're 17, there was going to be like too much blowback. But like, you're just like, I'm not letting you drive yet. And right, like she needs a parent to sign. And so there's just like nothing she can do. Or I feel like the government does this a lot. I'm like, pro-government, but I'm thinking about like immigrant legislation, right? If I'm willing to sponsor someone and be like, I will take responsibility for my friend, Prerna, who wants to immigrate to this country. If she does anything bad, it's my fault. The government is like, nope, that's not enough. I don't trust you. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I'm willing to take all the risk. Why won't you just let me do this, right? Like there are these interventions and, you know, it is almost always about exploiting a power, right? Like the government has the ability to issue visas are not and Ellen's parents have the legal ability to say, no, you can't do this. But what's nice about Sirius is that he's taking just sort of social power seriously. He could still literally go. Yeah. Right. He could just be like, forget all of you. I'm going. But he just like respects that everybody else is telling him it's a bad idea. He won't in a couple of chapters. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, right. But and I, I do think that is to his credit. And I, I think it shows that he does recognize the risk to other people and to himself in taking that risk. I also wonder if he just like took the wrong tact where he was like, I want to do this for Harry. And they're like, that wouldn't be doing anything for Harry. And so when we <laughs> see him take this risk in a couple of chapters, he's just like, I want to do this for myself. I need to get out of the house. And I want to see Harry off. And again, I just think We are very morally judgmental about risk. Like when we think, okay, if you're doing this for you and if you're honest about it, fine. But if you think that you're doing this for someone else, you're lying to yourself, right? Like we really want people to know why they're taking a risk. And I think this is probably an American thing. We want them to take personal responsibility for the risks that they're taking. Hmm. Of like, fine, if you're going to do it, I wash my hands of you. Yeah. Well, and I think in that case, it's also you're going to do it and the risk is only to you. Because I I couldn't see anyone saying that if it was something, again, that would endanger Harry. Because so much of the point of the Order of the Phoenix is protecting Harry. That's like, you know, kind of their number one thing. Unless you're a Mundungus, then it's having a cover to steal things. Right. Yes. (laughs) All those, those faulty cauldrons. Yeah, like I think if they had, if Sirius had been like, listen, can I just like run out to the park as a dog once a week because I need to get out of here, I think he might have gotten clearance for that. Right. But going into the halls of government in this high stakes hearing, no, dude. Bad, bad strategy. Yeah. I do think that this line of like adult child 
is a place where I am more comfortable but still ambivalent about adults doing the thing that you articulated about Dumbledore and Sirius, of an adult saying, no, this is not a risk that I will allow you to take. And we see that struggle, I think, especially in Molly, but like in the Mm -hmm. entire order of how involved do we let the kids be in the Order of the Phoenix? Like, we are apparently letting them into this like super dangerous house and this like literally weaponized house with like doxies that can poison you. And we are taking steps to make sure that it is as safe for them as possible given that. But we see the kids really resent that, be like, I can take my own risks. And I genuinely think that children see things in a less compromised way and that often like the progressive change that we want in the world is led by young people. And so I don't want us to be like, no, you're wrong. And yet I also want to say to a 16-year-old, your brain is not fully formed. You should not drive yet. And so I don't, right, like we, I think we see the adults in the order like struggling with exactly that boundary of like, we want to respect your autonomy. There is a bigger cause and we need you to be a part of it, but not a part of it like this. Yeah, I think it is especially tough in this particular situation where you have like Harry, Ron and Hermione, especially and like Ginny a little bit, who have been involved in very serious, violent, the horrific things particularly to do with this big villain and at the same time maybe even because of that they're trying to protect them a little bit more or it's even just like the imbalance of like okay well you know harry ron and hermione have been through this but like jenny fred and george you haven't so you know you have to you have to go to bed now i think that was even like the argument in the previous chapter like, right it was like you know fred and george were like well we're overage so we should be allowed to and then it's like fine jenny you go to bed even though she has also kind of been involved in this so yeah it's it's one of those tough things they've been involved they've survived at this point they've done some things that like the the adults in those situations weren't being super helpful with. So I definitely hear your point and very much agree with you of like how many of our movements have been led by young people. And at the same time, when you take yourself out of this particular situation where Harry has been thrown into all this stuff that he shouldn't have ever had to face anyways, you're also just like, but these are kids these that are we're just babies. exposing to huge danger here like if Voldemort or even just the ministry found out about this like hidden house and what was going on like these kids would be in huge danger even just like government wise of like taken away and you know what whatever might happen to them so it is an enormous risk that they're putting them through and I think we see that come out in how overbearing Molly is being because I think she does feel guilt over that I think she's conflicted and I think she feels a lot of guilt about what they're doing Yeah. I don't think she's being overbearing. I just think she's being bearing. Mm. I think she's being meticulous and like sometimes erring, you know, too much on one side or the other. But I think she's just like trying to walk this line and it is a very skinny tightrope without a nut. Mm. And she's just like, okay, right? Like they have to be here. Fighting Voldemort is what matters. Harry's life is at risk. But like they are children. And I'm, I'm wondering what you think about this line that I've just drawn in my head. So I'm anti-military forces, right? Like I am deeply a pacifist, but I am particularly anti people being able to sign up to join the military at 18. I think you should have to wait until you're 25 to join the military when we know that like we have a better understanding of risk 
and our cerebral cortex is fully formed. I was just at a AAA baseball game where there were army recruiters asking children to like play these games and trying to recruit them at like 15, 16 to get them excited about signing up for the army. And I was like, well, this is exploiting children to take a risk. And I would like the government to intervene and say, not until you're 25, not until your brain is formed. But what I do think we have to do is listen to children, right? Mm-hmm. And like, that is where I wish that the order was better and even Molly was better. And I understand that they're all in a rush and stressed, but if you're going to protect children and make decisions for them, I do think that you should ask them, be like, okay, why do you want to know? Right? Like that's what Molly's position is, right? Like your brains aren't fully formed, even Fred and George, right? Like sure, legally you can make this decision, but like, I don't think that you're an adult enough. And like, I, I really get that, that boundary of like, I am the authority here and I am not letting you make that risk because it's something that I wish I could do for people joining the military. But what I do think we should do in those moments when we are saying, especially to children, like you cannot take this risk and I am the decider, is ask them why they want to take the risk. Because I think it is possible that we can address the why in other safer ways, right? Like if you ask an 18-year-old kid why they want to join the military, it's often for financial security. And you're like, oh, we as a country should be doing things about that. Or it is for a sense of pride. And you're like, oh, we as a country should figure out ways for them to do that, right? Like, and there, I know that there is legislation helping with this, right? Like in Maryland. And, but I think that often if you ask that why, it might be that like, Ginny wants to know because she's scared. And then she like there should be a conversation. Or Ginny is tired of being left out. She's been left out her whole life as the only girl. And you can figure out ways to include her. And like that's the missed opportunity to me here. And I understand it's emergency mode. I am not blaming anyone. Like they've got other things on their mind. I'm more like articulating it for myself. Like when I say to a child or someone who maybe has less information than I do, right? Like, no, and trust me. Stepping back and asking that question of why I think can be really helpful. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I also like within our world (laughs) agree that there are some things that I think we could lower the age for like 16 for voting age like oh my God, to me yeah. that's like 14. risk for a cause that's not like risk to bodily harm but then like maybe let's raise the age possibly on like driving drinking all of that and so i think similarly when we go into the, the wizarding world like we see this so much with fred and george in this chapter of they're constantly being like well we are technically of age now and it's like and then and then they pull the well you're not out of school yet or you're still under this house kind of thing because i i think i agree with you the what we are seeing from them on the surface is like just this sort of more youthful excitement of like wanting to be involved and not wanting to be told that they're too young but if we were to sit down and have a conversation with them i like for fred and george i think they care about their friends. They care about the larger cause and, and they want to help with that. And I think you brought up good points about Ginny. I would also say for Ginny, if someone were to sit down and ask her, like she was literally possessed by this guy right. when she was 11. She's got a lot of trauma from that that she probably wants to get closure on. She has anger about that she wants to fight back against or like she understands more than anyone the power this guy has. And so she passionately would want to to fight against that. So I agree with you that like getting to listen a little more I think would be nice, you know, in the previous chapter, I think Sirius maybe divulged a little 
too much, but I appreciated that he was kind of listening and being like, you know what, you do deserve to have a little bit more information. Again, I would not blame Molly at all because I think she is the main one who is like trying to keep them safe and it is such a tough line to walk. Uh, yeah, I'm really not blaming Molly, right? Like I can imagine going into this conversation. I, this is just like me tr trying to figure it out for myself, right? Like I can imagine going into this conversation being like, here's my bottom line. The answer is no, but I want to hear your ideas of like what you can do within that limit and why you want to do more within that limit. I'm not letting you fight, right? Like I'm mm -hmm. not letting you drive young. I'm not letting you, right? Like that's a non-negotiable. Like we're not going to negotiate under false pretenses, but like, Jenny, you might have really creative ways as to how you can get involved. And like, maybe it's a letter writing campaign to all of your friends at Hogwarts, right? Like, yeah. like my bottom line is you can't risk your body, but like, maybe there are ways that you as a young person can actually see so many things that I can't see. And you should just like have some, you should have as much autonomy over your life as you can, given that adults know that your brain isn't fully formed. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Prose is made for people not hair and skin types, personalization is rooted in everything they do from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I use the review and refine feature and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, <laughs> but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. Well, continuing on the thread of Weasleys and yeah. maybe needing to talk some things out more, uh, let's talk about Fred and George <laughs> really like taking a leap ahead now in their experiments on some of their products, uh, telling Harry that they are starting to look for premises and stuff. 
and that tension between having to always hide this from their mom. And I'm thinking now, especially in light of this conversation we've just been having, you know, we see so much more Fred and George's perspective here. And I think a lot of what we get as readers is like, oh, you know, Molly has always sort of discounted them. She wants them to be like Percy. She wants them to have like, you know, a, a government job or an office job. She doesn't approve of the job that they're doing and she doesn't believe in how talented they are. That's that's sort of the perspective yeah. that we're given. But mm -hmm. I think if you were to take a step back, like she is the one who's there having to like clean up all of their messes when they're experimenting at home and hurting each other and hurting their siblings and exploding the house and stuff. And so she sees all of that and just wants to make sure that they are safe while they're under her house and that they're going to be safe and provided for after Hogwarts. Right. And so I think if they could maybe sit and talk to each other and she could ask them some questions about like, why do you want to do this so badly? And then maybe find out they do have a business plan and, and here's... I don't know that there are extra precautions they're taking that she doesn't know about, but maybe there are that they would mm -hmm. share. Or they could brainstorm some extra precautions yes, together. Yes. Right? Oh, I like that. Yeah. I mean, I feel for everyone here, I know you do too, right? Like Harry has asked them not to share where they got this money. And so to some extent, they can't share with Molly that they have this influx of capital because I think she would be very curious about where they got it and yeah, you been, have you been hanging out with mung dungus too right? much and so like i understand why there's this sense of secrecy and like it it might actually come in part from an honorable place of trying to you know protect harry's secret but yeah i think that this gets right to the heart of why when we're about to take risks we need to have conversations. Mm. But like they're just like eating something that makes them throw up so much that they can't put the other half of the gummy worm into their mouths. Like yeah. this is a reasonable concern that she might have. I agree with you. I don't think that that's the source of her concern. I think she wants them to make conservative choices with their potential financial futures. She's proud of Charlie who's like off there playing with dragons. Like not mm. a safe, not a safe job, but a stable job. But I think she wants, right, like she wants them to have stability. She doesn't want them to grow up poor the way that she had to raise her family. Yeah. I really, really understand that. But yeah, I think this like closing down of walls of communication in the name of that means that they're like risking their bodies. And so I think that this speaks to why we need to keep lines of communication clear even when we disagree with decisions that one another are making, because the twins are like risking a lot. Like Molly could help them. Mm -hmm. She might know some magic that will like help them get this further along or be there to supervise, to like stuff the other half of the gummy warm in their mouths when they can't, you know, like she could actually be helpful if she had kept this line of communication open. Yeah, I'm thinking a lot now about you know, especially when we talk about risk assessments uh, in the, the insurance way that we were sort of discussing <laughs> earlier with professional risk assessors, or we think about uh, risk in investing. It's like high risk things also, if it works out, is higher reward. Right. And so if they were to talk to Molly, they might not be able to take as high risk things. And so is it going to take longer for them to innovate and to work out the kinks? That That's what one would usually think of if you are going to sort of right. like temper things down. 
But I'm really liking what you're saying about keeping these lines of communication open because of a couple of things that you've pointed out of if Molly had had these conversations with her kids, with Fred and George, you're right, maybe she knows some other magic that would solve it for them. Like, right. That, so it, it would actually go faster. Or with Ginny, you were saying like, well, maybe they could come up with ways for Ginny to get involved in an age appropriate way. And that's more involved than doing nothing. And so right. this sort of like balance of bringing other people in or like if it's less high risk doesn't actually always mean that it's going to be less reward. I do want to say I don't think either you or I are judging Molly. We are like describing this idealistic world where she is not under so much stress, you know, that like she seems to be the only person in this house who like acutely cares about the safety of these children who are under her care and she's trying to do all this other stuff. So I'm not saying like, Gosh, Molly, why aren't you sitting down at the dinner table and reaching across and saying, tell me about your dreams, right? Like, this is very hard. This is not something that I am good at doing with anyone in my life, right? Like, we all get defensive and are just like, I have more information. Just trust me. It's just really helpful for me to think about, like, actually the safer thing and potentially, like, still risky but more rewarding like you actually maybe save time and anxiety by just like having those conversations. Yeah, I also want to say that my my perspective on this is like loving Molly even more and just like really respecting the decisions that she took and like thinking about because we are reading these books from Harry's perspective, we get so much more the perspective of like her kids not seeing the bigger picture of where she's coming from. So I've loved talking about this from that way, totally also not totally. judging Molly at all. And I also think, you know, we're going to see this in the next book that Fred and George appreciate this about her, mm. right? They, when they get rich, they are like buying her things and just lavishing them on her. So they see that this is clearly a love language. They like disagree with her, but she's not burning bridges here. Mm -mm. They they know that this is coming from a place of love. All the love for Molly Weasley. <sighs> Long live Molly Weasley. <laughs> So Jackson, I'm so excited that you're here as we transition to our second sacred reading practice of book five. Book five is so long. I feel like we're going to be able to do every sacred reading practice many, many times. <laughs> so we are going to be doing the Jewish reading practice of Chavruta. And Chavruta is traditionally something that two Jewish young boys, because it was only boys who were allowed to study, would do in yeshiva. But I always picture it as like two bent heads over a book. And the book was Talmud. So it was law and commentary on the law. And that's what I love about Chavruta. It's about this like triangular conversation between two people in a text. And the way that these yeshiva students were trained to talk is through asking questions back and forth in order to come to a more truthful answer, a more truthfully still ambiguous answer through the art of question asking. I will ask a question, but then I have to answer my own really difficult question. And then you will also answer that question, but then you have to ask a related question, provide an answer to that, and I'll provide an answer. So it is a questions-based conversation. I will break it down into steps as we go. Sound good? I love this. It's also very meta commentary on our previous discussion this episode about yes, the, the importance and power of conversations. 
Right. I'm like, do you know what we should do? Ask a lot of questions. Do you know what we're going to do? Because we're perfect. Ask a lot of questions. (laughs) So here is my question for you with a little bit of context first. So Fred, George, Ron, Harry, Hermione, and Ginny are engaging in all this cleaning under the authority and care of Molly. And while they're cleaning, they're finding all of this old like House of Blacks. And one of the things that they find is a music box. And so I'm just going to read you this paragraph. There was a musical box that emitted a faintly sinister, tinkling tune when wound, and they all found themselves becoming curiously weak and sleepy until Ginny had the sense to slam the lid shut. So my question for you is this. Why is it that Ginny is the person out of this group, the youngest person in this group, the most left out person in this group, who somehow has the wherewithal to close this music box. And my answer for you is that she is very on the look for this feeling of being possessed. She has been possessed before and that this is actually a trauma response. And that she is like, I know what this is, and immediately is able to address it, actually because of something really horrible that she has been through. But I know that, you know, she's a Gryffindor. She's brave, right? Like, she's smart. I'm wondering what you think about this. Why the text has this, like, the youngest, most, you know, most ostracized member be the one that is like, oh, I, like, it's the music box. Yes, I think my initial thought was the same as yours of this is very much something that Jenny kind of knows the feeling of and she is on the lookout for and has had experience sort of breaking that reverie before. So is maybe also able to come out of it a little bit more quickly than some of the others. Ooh, this is like flushing the diary down the toilet. Mm, yeah, yeah, Just, yeah. That's a lot of like strength being shown, which comes to my other potential answer, which is a little bit more of like a a narrative structure type of thing. But I think this is the beginnings of us. We've had this is, I think, the second moment in this chapter in which Harry is starting to find out that Ginny is not this like quiet, nervous little girl who's around him, but like this incredibly skillful and intelligent and spunky young woman. And so this is another moment for him to be like, oh, like she's a fighter and like she, you know, she can handle herself and, and all of that. So we're starting to see that a little bit here, just being from Harry's perspective. Jackson, I'm wondering what like you also think about this theory. I think this is a biblical quote that I'm about to butcher, but like truth comes from the mouth of babes, right? That there's like something about the youngest who has, you know, the best perspective, right? Like all the tall people are at a certain height and then the little one literally sees the world differently. And, you know, I'm just thinking in Judaism, like is always supposed to be the youngest child that blesses the bread before you eat Mm. for like, you know, it's like you want a child to learn to be grateful for bread, but also you you want the like innocence and love of a child to bless the food that you're about to eat. And so I'm wondering if you think that the fact that Ginny is the youngest plays in here. I think, right, like I'm only thinking of Jewish biblical stories probably because I had to give the history of Havruta, so that's where my brain is. But like Benjamin as like the best son of, you know, 
like Benjamin is the best son and the youngest son, right? Like I'm just thinking about all of the times where it's like there's something like beautiful and true about the youngest in a group. Yeah. You've got me sort of thinking on a more like pragmatic interpretation of that in terms of like because she's younger, she's about 14, I think, like is it not working on her as well in in the same oh, way that, yeah. you know, like, like younger people hear different pitches? Yeah. Or is it also, you know, she keeps being sent to bed early and I know she's not immediately going to sleep, but maybe she has a little bit more rest and everyone else is more tired. <laughs> sure. And so like the sleepy thing is putting them to sleep more. Oh, I love that answer. Yeah, I think it's often not that we should ostracize people so that they can become like mystics and observant, but that like often people who are in the liminal spaces or on the outside have things to teach us mm-hmm. and that we should listen to them. And it's interesting that Ginny doesn't say close the music box. She just ha- has to like go and do it, right? Like she has to literally go and do it herself. That is very interesting. So I think that might be my question of why do you think Ginny closes it herself and takes that initiative instead of just sort of like having the response I think a lot of us might have of like you realize it and you shout at someone to do it. Why do you think Ginny fully did the action herself? I think it goes back to what we started this conversation with of it's a trauma response for her. So instead of asking someone else to do it, she is just immediately going and doing it. But I think it also shows a little bit of her evolving personality, too. She's very much a doer. Like, she gets things done. Yeah. I think that that's right. I wish I had anything to add, right? Like, it's just she hasn't been believed before. She hasn't had the world respond well to her trying to speak up before Mm. right in book two she's like something's wrong something's wrong and they're like you have a cold like don't even worry about it and so she's learned that she just has to do things for herself which is so sad yeah i was like that's actually making me really sad to think about but i think you're (laughs) very right i do want to say that i think part of this is also the support and love of her friendship with hermione right Hermione's the one who's like look, the way to either get hairy or not get hairy is by, like, dating other people, right? Like, you got to move on. Mm. And, like, not even as a strategy to get hairy, but, like, it's going to make you happier and him be able to see you more clearly, right? I do think Hermione's, like, love and friendship gives Ginny a foundation to stand on as she's becoming this awesome person. Yeah, And I love that we finally start getting to see some of that. It's times when I wish we had a more, like, omnipotent perspective beyond Harry's because I would have loved to see the little steps of Ginny getting to this place. I know. What does Hermione tell her when she goes (laughs) up to bed? Like, I want to know everything. Well, Jackson, thank you so much for doing Havruta with me. Yeah, thank you for walking me through my first time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. 
Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This week's voicemail is from Jane. Hello to the Sacred Text family. My name is Jane. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm calling in from Texas. I wanted to offer a blessing for Seamus. I've been reflecting a lot recently about Seamus's confrontational approach to Harry after Voldemort's return. He listened to his grand preaching in the kitchen about her opinions and was young and naive enough to believe her. I grew up in a conservative Southern military family where we were taught to understand that Jesus would clearly be a Republican and only evil people who hated babies would ever vote Democrat. As a queer young woman, I was terrified and tormented by myself. I couldn't imagine a more terrible thing than to be gay. I was loud and confrontational to the people around me who thought differently because I wanted to attack the parts of myself that I hated so deeply. As I've learned to love myself, I've experienced the community available to me, willing and excited to love me exactly as I am. I've completely shifted my voting habits because now my understanding has changed. And that's been entirely because I grew to become open to hear other people's opinions and experiences and be open to letting that change my opinion. I'm really thankful for the opportunity to vote in Texas, where we are so close to being able to flip the state and support our rights. But I still ache for the courage to be more bold and authentic and to speak loudly to those around me, especially my family about the issues that I've grown to care so deeply about. So blessings to Seamus and to everyone else who chooses to open their minds to hear other people's opinions and experiences and has changed their actions to align with their new understanding. May we all do better when we know better. I love that so much. I just want to offer a blessing back to Jane. I also grew up in Texas and had a very similar experience and perspective on the world. I had to go all the way to England to meet a professor who was like very liberal for me to be like, wait, people who are more like liberally minded can have jobs and be successful in the world. Like that's how much of a, a vacuum you can easily grow up in, in, in places like Texas sometimes. And I really appreciate Jane's perspective on Seamus here because I was recently at camp, <laughs> not sorry's camp, critical of Seamus in that exact moment. But even a small part of me was thinking like, it's not entirely his fault and it's really hard to unwork those things in your head and, and parse those things out when you're surrounded by people all saying the same thing, even if you have your doubts. Uh, so I, I love the perspective that Jane just brought here. And yeah, blessing back to Jane for all that she has done in learning and growing. Amen. I, Jane, thank you so much for your beautiful voicemail. I really love, especially in the context of where we are right now in the series hearing this, because I think it's really easy to take Harry's courage for granted. 
also. And your perspective also shows just like how incredibly brave he is. And I think that Harry's shoes are way too big for us to imagine ourselves in. And so Seamus is such like a lovely way to imagine ourselves into becoming braver. And, you know, it's really hard to admit when you were wrong and be willing to change. And Seamus does it so beautifully, right? He apologizes, admits he's wrong, and changes. And I love that you called our attention to this, like, way to grow and change. It is now time for us to remember members of our community who have been loved and lost. Carol Potts, who is 68, a sister, aunt, mom, and who was kind-hearted and brave. Darren Mpalby, a father, nurse, surfer, and prankster, who will be loved and missed. The victims of the Belgrade Serbia school shooting and all of the terrors that followed it, they will not be forgotten. Nevenka Dumont, who was a gatherer of people and a loving human. And Belle, who was 109, a public school teacher, a profane Scrabble player, and a consummate survivor. May their memories be a blessing to us all. Jackson, we now get to offer blessings to characters in the chapter. Who would you like to bless? I feel like there are a lot of people we could bless in this chapter. And I today would like to bless Hermione because she is, I'm not even entirely sure what the argument is for her being there. Like Mm. all the other kids, it makes sense why they're there. And I'm glad (laughs) that she gets to be with her friends, but also what she's being forced into every day is seeing all of these like, you know, racist artifacts in this house and hearing the painting from Sirius's mom nonstop. And so like, it's just such a got to be like deeply unsettling experience and to also not have her family there with her. This is her found family and I know she loves them all very much, but it's almost like she's there in in a caretaker role in a way, you know, helping Harry, helping Ginny, cleaning the house. And so, yeah, I just imagine it's it's got to be a rough time that goes unacknowledged for Hermione. That has not occurred to me. She could probably yeah. be like on an awesome vacation with her dentist parents who like like to take her skiing into France. Listen, she's got a big crush on Ron. So she's doing it. She wants to be there. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and wants to be with her friend Ginny and her friend Harry. And probably supporting the cause. I feel like I'm belittling, actually. Yeah, no. I'm sure she wants to be there to help. All yeah. of it. All of it. I want to bless Molly. I know we talked a lot about her in this chapter, but at the end of the chapter, she has this moment where she's like, Harry, I ironed your nicest clothes for tomorrow. And like, also like wash your hair, like make a good first impression. And just that level of thinking ahead. Mm -hmm. I mean, just, and the details of that and, and the generosity of it. You know, she could have easily said, Hey, Harry, like lay out your clothes so they're not wrinkled for tomorrow, right? And like that would have been amazing, like Dainu, but she like just irons them, you know? And so yeah, a blessing for Molly. I want to just do more things like like Molly. <laughs> Next week, we're reading book five, chapter seven, The Ministry of Magic through the theme of visibility. 
Jackson, thank you so much for coming back. I love that Matt is busier so that I get to spend more time with you. <laughs> well, I hope Matt is enjoying uh, his extra busy schedule because I do enjoy being back here more regularly <laughs> as well. So hopefully it works out on all sides, but we do miss Matt. Just one reminder before we give our things today, which is that you can subscribe for ad-free episodes on Apple Podcasts and you can give Jackson Bird five stars. This was a Not Sorry production. We are a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Caitlin Hoffmeister, and we are edited and produced by AJ Yaramas. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by Acast. Thank you this week to Jane for her amazing voicemail. Laura Glass, Ariana Nettleman, Julia Argy, Margaret H. Willison, Nikki Zoltan, Hannah Rehack, Courtney Brown, Casper Turkile, Matt Potts, Stephanie Paulsell, everyone who sent in the names of their loved ones, and Jackson Burke. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Next week, we will be reading book five. Sorry, Rory had an opinion about that. Next week, we're reading book five. Still. Next week, we're reading book five, chapter seven, The Ministry of Magic.